Okay, well, good morning. Appreciate the opportunity to share, and usually, I think the last time I was here, I shared a little bit about our ministry with Global Training Network, and uh, what I would do is just invite you to, to get in contact with me. I'd love to sit down and have coffee with you, but for today, I want to share something from the Word of God, so I hope that our hearts are prepared. Um, certainly, it sounds like there's a teachableness already here in the room, so thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Someone wrote a book that has five chapters. The first chapter goes like this. I walked down the street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost and helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find my way out. That was chapter one. Chapter two. I walked down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault, and I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. (laughs) During these days, uh, with all the distractions and stress, it's easy to get into a rut and feel numb to it all. It's easy to lose our foundation, our purpose. We are told that truth is relative, so we wrestle with things that once were so basic, but now are complicated. Where, where's all this leading? Where's our world headed? Things in 2022 today are so much different than they were two and a half years ago. What was once unmentionable in our society has become unquestionable. There are many distractions. Speaking of a Christian university in the Pacific Northwest, senior lecturer of Regent University said this, when nearly three quarters of a Christian school's faculty and substantial number of its students support abandoning scriptural truth, the tragedy of moral compromise is self-apparent. Today's sidewalks have many holes. Where am I going? Our message today will focus on our new home and how to prepare for it. So why is laying up treasures in heaven so important? And if you want to go to Matthew chapter 6, we'll look at that a little bit today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 24. Why is laying up treasures in heaven so important for us today? Number one, it's beneficial to, to decide sooner rather than later to store up our treasure in heaven. I got to thinking about this from time to time in my walk with the Lord even as a pastor of churches, sometimes I wake up and I don't want to go to church. (laughs) And I complain about church. And then my wife says, honey, you're the pastor, you need to go. (laughs) It's beneficial to, to decide right now. So is this journey we call the Christian life worth your time, your effort, your money, and other resources? Secondly, Many are very, very anxious today. I hear this quite a bit. Christians seem to lack confidence and boldness. 
while the pressures of the world are growing. People's hearts are failing. You see it all around. Those pressures are causing anxiety, which we'll look at more next week uh, in Matthew. But Jesus is linking the topics of seeking first the kingdom with worry and anxiety. He also mentions it in Luke 12, and it's also mentioned in Philippians as well. One more reason why this is important is because of the one giving this instruction in Matthew uh, 6. The speaker is Jesus, the Son of God. He is the one who actually made the audience, which when you think about it is kind of awesome. He made the audience that he was speaking to. He's the one who forgives sins. He's the one who controls our destinies and knows what is on the other side of this life. So before we get to plunge into the text, I thought about John 13, and I thought this is an interesting passage because we see Jesus picking up the towel to wash his disciples' feet. The passage reads, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a a towel, tied it around his waist. You see, Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. That's interesting to me because he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He was going back to God and that gave him the freedom. It gave him the flexibility to be able to serve other people. But today we hear more more and more Christians throwing in the towel rather than picking up the towel. Our world is unfriendly to our mission of building the kingdom of God. Jesus taught about yielding our lives with a focused attention on his kingdom. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, what's so interesting to me as I was preparing for this is that it's so encouraging to study the inspired word of God with its timeless principles and see that it's just as applicable today as it was to the disciples. It's just as applicable to 21st century believers than it is to the first century disciples. It's also worthy to note that this passage is located somewhere right in the heart of the Sermon on the, Mark, uh, uh, the, Sermon on the Mount. So you would you'd think that, that Jesus maybe is working his way up to this passage and then he's kind of moving his way back out. We need to keep the main thing the main thing and to avoid being anxious about our circumstances. Jesus has already spoken a lot about behaviors, about laws, about traditions, but now he's going to get even more focused on our hearts. That's why I love this passage. I mean, I kind of 
you know, think, well, I could have been preaching on fasting or something like that. I, this passage is really, really good. Um, and, and it applies so much to my own heart where, where I'm at right now. So Jesus just addressed prayer and fasting, which happened to be two of the best-known behaviors where people in Jesus' day tended to blow their trumpets. You know, we, we, we see this a lot. A legitimate spiritual disciplines can be used to prove a point of how spiritual some people are. But in our passage, Jesus places the spotlight on heart issues. When we were growing up, our family, our children would test us. They'd test us every day. <laughs> it would have been a lot easier to focus on the rules of the house. And we did for a little while. I mean, there's this, there's this guy named Joshua Harris who, uh, he had this thing, I don't know if you were, if you, you remember this, maybe not, maybe we're, I was the only one or we were the only ones, but we had this laminated sheet of paper that we had up on our refrigerator. It was called 21 Rules of This House. And so it really focused on children's behaviors. And we had a program that we got involved in called Growing Kids God's Way. And that focused on behaviors when you think back on it. Um, now I'm thankful that there are, there's more training for parenting that involves focusing on the heart of a child as well as focusing on the heart of parenting. But rules without relationship equal rebellion. You probably have heard that. Knowing that we, what we know now, it's a mystery how long we had to knock our heads against the wall as parents before we realized that it was the heart that was the real, the real important thing. I mean, I could tell my kids, we could tell our kids that they were to stay in their chair, sit down until you finish your dinner. You know, and, and we didn't even have a dog, but somewhere, sometime they, they, would, they would be able to hide their, their food, I mean, or they'd stick it in their mouth and, you know, like, like a chipmunk or something. Um, <clears throat> they would find a way to hide their food, basically. The point is, is that they could fake obedience, we could make them sit, but while they were sitting down on the outside, they were really standing up on the inside. Jesus is much more interested in the heart than in the outward behavior. The point of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is that we act the way our heart guides us to act. In verses 19 to 21, Jesus contrasts laying up treasures on earth with laying up treasures in heaven. The conclusion of this section is, for where your heart or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <clears throat> so fast forward if you want to take a look at Colossians chapter 3 with me, the first four verses. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, I think this will apply. If then... <clears throat> You have been raised with Christ, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's a great passage, very elevated passage of scripture in Colossians. 
In Matthew 6, we see Christ's focus on the heart. But we learn in Colossians that our life is hidden with the risen Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. Not only that, but Paul says to the Colossian believers that they have already been raised with Christ and to keep setting their minds on things above where Christ is, where we are in heaven. Paul is saying that we have died with Christ and now we are raised with him and have already been given a new home. Already, we have a new home. It makes perfect sense that since our identity is rooted in Christ and that our life is hidden with him, that we live out, what's, watch this, we live out what is already true about us. We live out what is already true about us. So we adjust our lives consistent with who we already are in Christ. So we're not trying to be something we are not. Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Sometimes we kind of feel like hypocrites. I don't know about you, but, but we're, not, we're not trying to be something we are not. We, but we renew our minds and focus on our eternal home rather on this temporary worldly system here on earth. <clears throat> the pressures and the anxious thoughts of this life they actually come as a warning that our hearts and our minds are being distracted with all the holes in the sidewalks. You ever feel that pressure? That's a distraction. That's an indicator, kind of like a yellow light or maybe even a red light that, that uh, we are being distracted and we've got our minds focused on things here. Paul also spoke of those in Second Thessalonians who will inhabit the alternative to heaven. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. In a book called Heaven by Dr. Randy Alcorn, he writes, because God is the source of all good and hell is the absence of God, hell must also be the absence of all good. Likewise, community, fellowship, and friendship are good, rooted in the triune God himself. Earth is an in-between world touched by both heaven and hell. Earth leads directly into heaven or directly into hell, affording a choice between the two. The best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. For unbelievers, it is the closest they will come to hell. To heaven. Speaking of glimpses of hell, <clears throat> we we came back from uh, a training in in East Africa, and uh, we spent some time with friends on the East Coast. When I got back, I noticed that there was a lot of growth in our backyard. So I, I went to fill up the, the weed whacker and start to get out there and and knock down all those weeds. Well, I happened to come across some poison ivy or poison oak. I'm not sure which. I just know the effects <laughs> now. <clears throat> Somehow, it got stirred up and it got on my, the tool. It, it, it got, then, it, then it got on my arms and then it got you know, on my legs and it was a mess. And I thought, isn't this irritating, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's been a kid since I've had this, you know, since I had poison ivy or poison oak. And, but then I thought, you know, this is interesting because the more I try to 
don't say this, say this very delicately. The more I tried to relieve the, the itch, um, the worse it got. You know, it, it's like there's something there that's, that's drawing my, you know, I, I, I want to scratch. But the more I scratch, the worse it gets. The more I scratch, the worse it burns. And it, it, it was kind of like a glimpse of hell. So I'm not worried about my salvation, don't get me wrong, but when I thought, thought about it, I thought, isn't kind of like what hell's going to be? The more we try to get relief, the more it itches, the more it burns. So here's another thing. By God's grace, Stacy and I have been married for 39 years now. After we lived in an apartment for about four months, we were blessed to be able to move into our first home. And like a lot of families today, we, we moved many times and we often struggled at first with the decision to move. But once we decided to take the plunge, our minds were geared and were set on the new home. We got caught up with the anticipation of moving into our new place. We kind of envisioned what it would be like to live in this new community. We invested heavily in the new house with a, a good down payment and uh, we strengthened our resolve to make this move, a smooth transition. <clears throat> After all, <clears throat> really, this is the biggest decision, this is the biggest financial decision we were ever going to make in our lives, buying a new home. So in preparation for our move, Stacy and I would begin to sell things. We purged. Whatever we didn't sell, we usually gave away to friends or we went to the local Goodwill. Some of those things had emotional value, but once we make the decision to move, we leave things behind and we don't look back. I rarely think what it would be like to move back to a place that we used to live. I've long forgotten the things that we gave away or sold for a fraction of what we paid for them. Some things we've taken cross country and only to wonder why we, we brought them in the first place. Some things we've taken cross country, country and and then I realized with all the books that I've, that I've gone cross-country with me that really the only thing that I really got from all the effort was a sore back. When we move to our heavenly home, we're not taking anything with us. And everything that we've carted around on earth will be long forgotten. When we arrive at our heavenly home, we won't look back because the joy of heaven will be unsurpassed from any memory that we have here on earth. Tears will be wiped away. We are blessed when we imagine where we're going. Focus on this. Mercy Me wrote a song several years back. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Brings glory to God when our minds are fixed on things above. And God loves it when we are unhindered and untethered 
to the things of this world. Second thing that Jesus talks about is a set of statements in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 6 when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Even at first glance, it's clear that Jesus isn't talking about having 20-20 vision. He's not talking about having an astigmatism or about having cataracts. He's talking about what goes into the mind through the eye and how that impacts our inner life. He's taking a physical aspect of our body and linking it to the inner life of the spirit. Jewish literature, the eye represented the gateway to the heart. Jesus' audience would have thought about the eye in terms of a lamp that reveals or shines a light on the quality of a person's inner life. He is helping us to evaluate the health of our inner life based on what we are taking in through our eyes and how that impacts our inner life, which eventually guides our decisions and even our destinies, really, when you think about it. Jesus challenged his disciples in in Mark chapter 8 with these words. He asked these questions. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see? Having ears do you not hear? Jesus speaks to us today as he spoke to his disciples around the Sea of Galilee. How can I have eyes, Lord, but not see? How can I have ears, but not hear? To invest our treasure in heaven, we must see with eyes of faith. Another wise instructor on this topic is the Apostle Paul, who better to teach us about the eyes of our heart than the one who was struck down on the road to Damascus by the blinding light of the radiance of Christ. You know the story. Saul was on a rampage to persecute Christians, and Jesus appeared to him in a blinding light. He saw Jesus, and he was converted in a moment. With that blinding light there, he was converted, and his name was changed to Paul. The apostle talked about the eyes of our heart. If you would just open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to take a minute here, but we're going to go back to this at the end. I actually have a prayer that I want to pray over you guys. We can pray for each other at the very conclusion of this. So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul is praying for the people in the church of Ephesus, for their hearts. He wanted them to have eyes to see three things. So look at Ephesians chapter 1. And look at verse 18 particularly. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would, that you would see, that you would understand the hope that you've been called to, number one, verse 18. Then he said, and that you would know the glorious riches of the inheritance in Christ. And then you would understand the surpassing power of the God that we serve. That's, that's, those are three things in that, in that um, prayer of Paul. 
So both Jesus and the Apostle Paul want our eyes opened so we will store up treasures in heaven. But our heart must be engaged by an act of faith in Jesus' command. The final challenge, the, fir- the third part here of, of this is in verse 24 of this same passage in Matthew 6. And it even hits closer to home, even talks about our destiny. It's not just a matter of outward behaviors. Jesus is talking about who is our master. Jesus said it. Bob Dylan sang about it. And I believe it. You're going to have to serve somebody. Remember Bob Dylan? Back in the day, the 60s and 70s, he was an icon in rock music. And then somewhere along the line, supposedly he had a conversion. And then he, he, he put this, this new album out called Slow Train Coming. And this was a song that got some airplay on regular stations, secular stations. He said, well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. When our treasure is, where our treasure is, our heart will be there as well. Whatever our eyes focus on, our heart will be there also. Whoever our master is, our heart will find its devotion in that master and walk either in light or in darkness. It was no surprise that the Pharisees had a different master than Jesus. As Jesus' crucifixion drew nearer, the Pharisees began confronting him more and more. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, it reads this, Again Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I know where I came from and where I am going. There he says it again. This is really interesting. Later in John 8, Jesus told the Pharisees that their father was the devil. They were enslaved to the devil. You're going to have to serve somebody. Matthew 6, 19 to 24 is not just a collection of pithy sayings. There's a clear relationship between the way Jesus begins the section and the way he concludes it. He tells us that where our treasure is, our heart will be as well. Then Jesus tells us that we can only have one master. Jesus makes it clear. I so appreciate this about about Jesus. In this personal relationship I have with him, he makes it very clear to me. I don't have a a whole lot of uh, choices to make. I have two. I'll, I'll either serve God or I'll serve money. I'll either go to heaven or I will spend eternity apart from the presence of Christ. We will enter, we will either be enslaved to money or we will serve God. He's making it easy for us. Some people don't think that Jesus, they think that Jesus is unfair. I think he's very fair. He doesn't confuse the issue. He gives us two choices. I'm not sure where you are spiritually, but sometimes I feel like I walk down the same sidewalk, falling into the same holes. Sometimes the only way that you and I will understand the timeless truths of these passages is to have eyes to see and understand. What do your eyes tell you today? What is your heart's focus? Where is your treasure? Are you still heavily investing in a world system that is passing away? Is your focus on your earthly home or are you purging and preparing for your future home? You may ask, well, how do I know I need to purge? I just say, are you anxious? 
When you look around at the things that you have, do you become anxious? If you are becoming anxious, that's that red light or at least a yellow light that's saying you're, we're focusing on the things of this world, that pressure that we feel. Well, in, study, in studying Matthew 6, some of you may sense that God wants you to make a slight adjustment. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't need to make a huge adjustment, but maybe a slight adjustment is something that I could, that I could see. I think we can all agree that it's better to make a slight shift now than a major one later, right? I was reading a, a book written by a friend of a friend. Um, it's called Heart Shift uh, by Dr. John Trent. And he said this, he had a conversation. Now, when we went to, to the East Coast, we went down to Florida. We spent some time in Titusville in Florida. Beautiful place. It was, it was called TGO, the Great Outdoors. And it was one of these communities where you could go take your, your fifth wheel in there or your big coach, and, and then you, know, you could stay there for forever, really. When we were coming into town, we saw a rocket being launched from SpaceX. I thought, this is cool. We're here just at the right time, at the right place. And there's a rocket going up. Well, Dr. Trent had a conversation uh, with a missile scientist. And he asked them, he asked him, what are the tolerances you build into the trajectory when you blast off and head to the moon? For example, after you blast off, could you be just a little off? Say, like a couple of degrees off on your flight plan without it being such a big problem. Two degrees, he asked. Just be off two degrees? So he went to his cal calculator and he calculated the very approximate distance to the moon of 217,614 miles from the Earth to the moon, depending on the time of year and apogee of the moon's orbit around the Earth, of course. Be just two degrees off from when you blast off and roughly taking into account the time and the distance traveled, you'll miss not only your point of orbital entry, but you'll miss the moon by a measly 11,121 miles. Add in enough time and distance and be just two degrees off and you'll miss your target by miles. Just be two degrees off from a heart, a right heart attitude. Add in enough time and distance, and your entire life can end up miles from God's heart. Some might recognize today that they're really in a hole. A hole because of bad decision making, maybe regarding relationships, finances, business transactions, or even unforgiveness. Sometimes it's easy to get focused on the, on the hole we are in and that we forget that there's another sidewalk that Jesus offers us. You don't have to stay in that hole or continue on this path. Condoleezza Rice said this, it doesn't matter where you came from, it matters where you're going. So I'm inviting you to walk on another sidewalk today, an even greater investment into Jesus' kingdom. If you want to be sure where you are going for eternity, I'm sure there are people here that can pray with you and talk with you more about it. But I want to focus right now on heaven. It's a place, it's a glorious place with streets of gold, probably sidewalks of gold too. 
The tree of life will be in heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. We'll have glorious, glorified bodies. Isn't that a great, I mean, no more chicken legs, right? (laughs) So getting onto the right sidewalk is the first step. But after your course is set, the next steps may be a little easier, a lot less stressful, and certainly much more fulfilling. To decide to live for Christ and to serve him in his kingdom means making the biggest investment of our lives. There's nothing more important in life than this decision. We can walk together in the joy of investing in our future home. We can walk a wide path of destruction resulting in hell, or we can serve Christ and lay up treasures in heaven. So for a takeaway, maybe many of you were thinking that I was talking just about money when I'm talking about laying up treasures in heaven. What are those treasures anyway? And, um, but they're not necessarily monetary, are they? It could mean your time and effort as well. In other words, being bolder and verbally sharing the gospel. This is one of our greatest treasures, the, the, our, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share that with other people. Because the window is closing. It, it, it's not, we'll not always have this opportunity to share Christ. Or how about foster parenting? How about adoption? How about taking in or caring for an elderly family member or serving a widow in the community? How about just being more intentional about giving to kingdom work in a balanced way with taking care of our own needs also in daily living? Now I'd like you to turn back to Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna begin to wrap this up. doesn't happen automatically that we hear from God. It doesn't happen automatically that we see the things that God wants us to see. When, when you turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and you think about Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, he's making an intentional prayer to ask the Lord to enlighten the minds of the people in Ephesus. This morning, as I was up early as I usually am when I have something like this, some kind of a responsibility, I usually get up a little early. Around 4.30 or 5 o'clock this morning, I heard uh, something that I don't normally hear during the day. I I heard the train going by Vandiver. I heard the horn blast. I thought, hmm, that's right. There are trains that go by here all the time. I just don't hear them because there are all these distractions. There are all these other uh, sounds that, that we get into. Uh, when we were starting our day. We can hear things when it's quiet, though, and we can see things when we focus our attention on God. So let's, let's look at this together, and, and I want us to bow, and I want to pray specifically for these three things, but I want to start in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then this is how I'm gonna pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable 
greatness of his power toward us who believe. Let that sink in. And let God speak to you. Are you hearing? Do you see things today that you haven't heard and seen in a long time? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. Thank you for the, the elevated thoughts when, when, when we think about heaven and we think about storing uh, up treasure and laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Just give you praise for your timeless word. Thank you for speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.